0: The best way to predict the future is to invent it. Stephen Ambrose brings you up to speed on what the future holds as he explores the latest technology as it impacts our lives. Well, welcome to Tech Talk right here on HiFM where we always got the latest greatest gadgets, gizmos, you name it, we talk about it. And there, again, just when you thought you could depend on everything and things were going well, well, apart from Escom switching off the lights and us gadget people, having huge issues with keeping our gadgets charged and working and keep the internet going. But that's a discussion for another time. Hopefully that whole system settles down over the next couple of weeks and we get back to some sort of normalcy so we can all stay charged, stay connected and keep playing with what we need to do. But today, really, some good news, some bad news, some interesting insights. Um, got Brendan Ambrose from advanced intellect privacy on the line later talking about the new hybrid work environment and how that affects privacy and what you need to do about it because all of us are finding that we're working more and more from home we're more working more and more from remote places and the whole world around how we work where we work what we do when we work has changed considerably people are absolutely are absolutely still busy with doing so many things and so many different ways of of getting on with their day-to-day lives and finding new jobs, new ways of doing those jobs. So stay tuned. I think that's going to be a really, really interesting conversation. And now on to some of the not such great news. And I'm sure if you have been listening over the last little while, you've heard lots about the new chip shortages how supply chains due to COVID have been disrupted. But COVID in some ways brought enormous growth and enormous change to the tech space. The amount of computers that were sold, the amount of technology that people acquired, there was a massive, massive bubble in the tech space. So the share prices of all the big guys, Google, Amazon, Apple, all screamed through the roof as people acquired new technology, as people like zoom brought on absolutely must have platforms and systems to stay in touch to work together and to continue life even though we were all locked down into our little houses as global travel around the world crashed and the whole world became very very isolated so all of that led to a massive massive tech boom and Technology came to to the fore. It saved everybody. Teams, Zoom, you name it, whatever video conferencing system you used, that's how we got things done. Work systems, platforms all changed. And many, many tech companies grew solidly through this period. While travel and entertainment and the sort of leisure industry completely collapsed and many other industries collapsed around the world, tech stayed strong, tech continued to grow. And um, it was just seemingly a never-ending rise in how uh, things went. Well, it appears that that whole party is officially over. Gartner did some, you know, they tracked the market, they did some research recently, and they found that PCs, mobile phones, and tablets are set for massive sales drops in 2022. And here we sit halfway through 2022, and it's panning out across the board. Tech companies, tech car companies like Elon like um, Elon Musk's Tesla have laid off 10% of their workforce immediately. There's definitely a, a bit of an air of a massive adjustment. But again, I think people have to have a little bit of perspective on this whole thing. This is coming off a massive bubble over the last two to three years. 2022 has proved to be a year where COVID has receded to the place where most people couldn't care. There's still, still unfortunately, a lot of disruption in China, which creates all the supply chain issues. And it seems to be a perfect storm of normalization of the world, high inflation, then the war in Ukraine interrupting so many shipping and other routes, supply chain disruptions. The chip shortage hasn't been ameliorated because Taiwan and China are still gripped in many lockdowns. Uh, and, and, and COVID related restrictions, you still can't travel to either one of those countries with any ease, Japan included, which seems strange where most of Western Europe and America, you can come and go do as you please up and down and just have a wonderful time. But from a from a business and technology point of view, what has happened is that the world is increasingly finding that outsourcing the global technology to the east has created a massive challenges for all the manufacturers and will result, I believe, and we are starting to see massive uh, localization of global supply chains, which makes a lot of sense. It may raise prices, hence inflation. The war in Ukraine has rattled many a cage, um, and technology generally thrives in times of conflict. So watch the space. I think we're going to see some massive stuff coming. But essentially, they're talking about shipments dropping in 2022 by 10 to 20 percent, across the board, some areas in the business PC space because everyone bought brand new stuff during COVID and that sort of bubble has burst now. They're going back to work with all their new stuff, whether they're working in the office or working from home. They certainly don't need to replace now. So we're talking a 13% decline. So watch this space. We are going to see a major readjustment. The share prices of all the major tech companies have dropped. So if you're a share investor, not a great place to be right now. But long term, I think the adjustment is a good one. I think we're going to see a lot more distribution of production around the world. The ramping up of chip manufacturing, both in Korea, both in China, both in America, in many, well, both, but all over the world has started to happen. Intel are producing more and more outside of their traditional places. They're even outsourcing some of their stuff. So we're seeing a massive realignment of all the supply chains at a very base level on tech. And I think that's gonna result in perhaps some more expensive prices, certainly some delays for now. But I think we're definitely going to see a a settling during 2022 and a massive growth in 2023. Be interesting to to see how the tech companies respond because a lot of them are driven by their market share and their, um, their massive share prices. And those have definitely hit a bit of a a dry patch. So there is growth. It's coming. 5G is growing globally. Um, We're seeing a lot of new systems, platforms, and the demand for broadband has grown exponentially. And the nature and style of the technology that people has changed. So we're going to see the supply chains due to COVID and all the restrictions did not keep up, but we'll see that settle. So it might be doom and gloom right now. It might be bad news right now. But I think we're going to see a massive uptick and some great innovation coming across the PC world. Um, As announced, the new Apple stuff seems to have rattled everybody's cages. All the Windows PC manufacturers are scrambling to respond, which, again, seems to be a bit of a trend. Apple leading in terms of what they produce and the price and the quality at which they produce it sometimes put some of the high-priced Windows machines to shame. So we're going to see some big changes in that space over the next little while. Now, moving on to uh, something that I've been watching for a long time. Republic of Gamers is a brand from Asus. I've been to Taiwan many times. I've seen how successful they are. But they've always had a smart gaming phone that is now coming. The ROG Phone 6 is coming to South Africa. It was they released that last week. And... It is for anyone who's into mobile gaming, and mobile gaming has really come a long, 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 long way in many, many different forms and shapes. And there's hardly any um, phones that spe- spe- specially look at gaming. So if you're into gaming, keep your eyes open. I think they're coming in September. They've got massive batteries, the latest technology, an amazing screen with sensitivity that will make gaming a lot better than a standard. Um, Samsung top-of-the-line phone. So I've played with the previous generations. I've been super impressed. They're Android-based for Android fans. And um, they just have the most incredible specs in a really cool-looking sort of gamer-vibe case. So keep your eye open. The ROG Asus um, Phone 6 is coming to South Africa shortly. And I think we're going to see uh, a real growth in how mobile gaming is is. Actually, taking on PC gaming. So, there's big growth in that space, and these devices are specially designed to take care of that with really fast sampling rates on the screen. So, when you touch it and how quickly the screen reacts when you do touch it, which is all very, very important for gaming. And on that note, we're going to, to take a quick break for our sponsors, and then we'll be back with Tech Talk Cafe. Um, and we're talking about the new, as I brought, as we discussed earlier, we're talking about the new work and how privacy is affected, and what's happening in the workspace, because that is going to affect every single one of us over the next very, very short while. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back and welcome to our conversational Tech Talk Cafe. With me on the line is Brendan Ambrose, who is the GM of Privacy at Advanced Intellect. Welcome, Brendan. Welcome to the show once again. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me on again.
1: I appreciate it.
0: Just something I was talking briefly about in the in sort of the lineup to the show is that how much technology and how much work uh, has changed over the last little while, and post COVID, um, post the whole lockdown where we all were forced to work at home, into a situation in South Africa now because of the price of petrol and all the load shedding, where we sort of choose to work at home. The workspace has changed considerably, and your area of expertise is obviously privacy and all the systems and processes and the background to companies protecting their privacy in the context of POPIA and GDPR and global regulation. And people are working all over the world. So there seems to be a huge, huge change in what you got to think about. Even if you're a small company, And how your workers work and how you deal with other people's data and how that's all handled, protected and managed in a place where you've got guys dialing in from uh, Bali for want of a better place. So what is your take on how this has all changed and how it's affecting the workplace going forward?
1: so i think that's a good point stephen and that there's a lot to consider when it comes to working with the working from anywhere policies a lot of companies are putting in place i know airbnb have recently said that none of their staff need to come back to the office and that they can work from anywhere um and that goes all the way through to smaller companies a company called fluent forever are a online language coaching coaching company um, and their their coaches can can operate from anywhere in the world there are a lot of considerations and privacy is one of them. And I think that's that's important to understand from the outset. Taxation is another massive consideration when it comes to working from anywhere. But when it comes to privacy and data security and data protection, there are a number of things that you need to start looking at when it come, before, I suppose, you implement a work from anywhere policy for your staff. And I think as a broad point and why I mentioned that privacy is part of a work from anywhere policy is that cl- Communication with staff and to have clear, clear indications of what's expected in a work from anywhere policy is very important. And privacy fits into that and on two, two levels, right? It fits into it on the level of your employees, and it fits into it on the level of your clients and your suppliers. So it's a, it's a, it's a. Well, I don't, like, I don't love the word multifaceted, but the truth is, it is, the, it is a multifaceted.
0: Yeah, I suppose approach. It's you need to look the at only. It's not a simple.
1: Here's a tick list and off you go. Exactly, exactly. So I think it it, it all starts in an overarching strategy of what is your work from home, what policy, what is your work from anywhere policy? How does that fit into your organization? Why are you doing it? Are you doing it because it's part of your employee retention strategy? Are you doing it because it's part of um, your remuneration strategy for your staff? How are you looking at this work from anywhere and work from home policy? And then where is it acceptable for your employees to work? Because if you have a European-based or European-focused or South African-focused business or Ghanaian-focused business, you need to be aware of the local data protection laws and how they apply extraterritorially to your company, to your clients, to your suppliers and to your employees. So, for instance, if you're a South African company and you are... Um, providing services in South Africa, but one of your employees wants to go live in Switzerland for six months. Obviously, they've they've got tax considerations. You've got um, you've got payroll considerations. There's a lot that goes into that employee moving and working from Switzerland for six months. What you also have to consider is now that you now you're transferring, or at least that employee has access to personal information and sensitive and confidential data of your of your other employees of your clients and of your suppliers who are based in south africa and you have to consider well okay is that something you know are the swiss laws sufficient and can we do we need to do anything such as make applications for prior approval or anything along those lines to the south african regulator to allow this so it it gets very complicated very fast but on a high level it's really important to align your privacy and your data management to your overall management, right? Because if if your company strategy is we can work from anywhere, your privacy policies and your policies on data management need to flow from that. One of the most important things I, I see which doesn't get done all that often because it's, it's a bit of a nitty gritty uh, exercise is data categorization. There's a lot of tools which can do it. Um, and we, we use a couple ourselves but data categorization becomes a really, really important part of the of the sort of privacy journey and the compliance journey, especially when you can. can I, sorry, can I just interrupt the you there um, and oh.
0: ask you a quick question around that? When you say data categorization, what data are you categorizing, and and for what purpose?
1: So, in your company, whether you're dealing with services or goods you collect certain data from your suppliers from your clients from your employees your employees data ranges from their salary to their days off to their name to their phone numbers to their metadata that they create while using your work laptop for your clients it's what they purchase it's where they purchase it's where they get it delivered to so you're constantly pulling together a massive data into your company for your suppliers, you are probably you probably have access to some confidential information with them, of theirs. For that, you are probably giving some of your suppliers some of your confidential information. You're transferring some personal information to your suppliers. So you've got this massive web, this matrix of data flowing in and out of your organization on a day-to-day basis. And it's it's not to sound super complicated, but it's just the nature of how business works, right? You speak to someone, you're providing a certain level of information to them. Now, that information is governed by a whole bunch of things, one of which is data privacy. And I think that data privacy often gets gets broadened to mean every type of data that you collect as your organization.
0: Data yeah, I, think privacy I, I think that's the biggest problem that most companies have, big and small, is that what data falls mm. within data privacy and what data doesn't. And if you've got someone working, as you said, in Switzerland on a South African platform, how do you categorize what, what you need to do in that space, or even if you've got someone working in on on data that's going on an unsecured line somehow.
1: Exactly, right. So there's a couple levels to that, and that's why I say data categorization is so important, because you need to know what you're dealing with. So if you have data flowing from a client, right, and you've got a non-disclosure agreement with that client, and part of that non-disclosure agreement is you shall not provide this data to any third party without the prior written consent of the client, strictly speaking you can't put that on a server that you don't own so if you've got an office 365 account um and that office 365 account is based in frankfurt technically you need the written approval of the uh, of of the disclosing party to transfer it there in practice that doesn't always work but I'm, I'm speaking sort of strictly letter of letter of the law letter of the contract approach so that would be confidential information but now you've got personal information flowing from your flowing from your clients, and that personal information will be managed normally in two ways. It will be managed in terms of the contract you have with a client and the legislation. In South Africa, there's no legislation specifically dealing with confidential information. There are certain legislation dealing with in relation to governments and dealing with in relation to standard of care when you're doing work for a <laughs> client, but there's nothing that deals with it as, so for instance, the Trade Secrets Act in America, um, which deals with confidential information at that level. So. Understanding what data is flowing around your organization is probably one of the most key elements of fitting in any work from anywhere policy. Because once you have an understanding of what data is flowing around your organization, who has access to that data and what they use it for, a couple things start to fall in place. You start to realize that one, you've actually got quite a lot of confidential information floating around your organization. Two, that the personal information moving around your organization is probably more limited than you think if you have to drill down exactly to what it is. And three, you've got oblig- different obligations applying to each one of those, right? And I'm not including technical data and intellectual property and things like that because that gets, again, quite complicated quite fast. But what you start realizing is that, one, you're probably not making best the best use of the information that you have um, within your company. And two, it's not a binary approach to things and i think when it comes to data privacy a tick box standard compliance approach doesn't work because if you have to go by a tick box standard compliance approach you'll probably you, you probably will end up very quickly in the realm of not being able to do any business whatsoever because the <laughs> legislation definitely is principle you based. want to land up with exactly right because Data privacy legislation in most countries around the world is something called principle based legislation, where it's not prescriptive. It's not saying you will do XYZ. It says that in some instances, but even where it says you will do XYZ, it's normally caveated with in accordance with uh, the rules set out by the regulator or in accordance with the regulations, where then it goes into like gives guidance and it makes it a little bit more, a little less binary and little and, and somewhat up to the data controller, who is the, the person or the company that manages the data and is ultimately responsible for the personal data, leaves it more up to them and up to their, uh, up to their discretion, how and where they're using it, right. So there's a lot of risk based calls in relation to data privacy and data protection that you have to make in order to best protect the data subjects, which in, in, in South Africa can be both companies and individuals and individual people. So you land up in a situation where you are managing a lot of personal information flowing around the world and then you have to look at something which we call the compliance universe once you've determined what information is is flowing around the world right so if you have suppliers in the states for instance well then maybe the trade secret act there does come into effect and you've got employees moving around and working in the states well hang on now does the trade Secrets act now apply to the employment contracts so it's things like that 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 become fairly complex but in respect of data privacy, one of the most popular things we're starting to see is the use of something called binding corporate rules, which is mentioned in the pop but it's much more strongly defined and clearly indicated in the GDPR, which is the European Data, data Protection Legislation. And what that is, is essentially a global set of policies that, that that a group of companies will use in order to maintain compliance around the world. And that allows for data international data transfer within the realm of those rules. Now, there and are sorry, just like to the,
0: clarify, these right. sort of rules can apply to single companies that operate multinationally or whose staff operate multinationally or companies that have branches elsewhere as Correct. well.
1: Correct, and that, that's really where the value on binding corporate rules comes in, is for instance, let's say you have two, three staff that go work in Israel. You say, okay, well, at this point now, it actually makes sense for us to open up a branch office in Israel because we can pay them, and then we can have the payroll work there. And you essentially are now running a small startup in Israel. How you do that now, in terms of privacy, would make a lot more sense for you to have these binding corporate rules than a sort of group privacy policy. Now, binding corporate rules generally need to be registered with the um, uh, the, the, the European Data Protection Board in Europe, if you're a European based company, but they can be, they don't, there's no obligation in terms of the Papier to register your um, binding corporate rules. So it's a, it's a sort of, it's a step that you need to take depending on where you are and how you're based and how you're structured and what your corporate structure is. But what I like about binding corporate rules is that they generally tend to be a bit more clear and a bit broader in terms of how and what you're doing with personal information flowing around the world than a long-winded privacy policy, which you'll probably still need in addition to your binding corporate rules. But it, it I don't know if you can see so far, but it's gotten fairly complicated, right? We've now on binding corporate rules, international data transfers, and privacy policies, and individual employment contracts.
0: It sounds like a lot of work.
1: And it, it, it does, it's, it's one of those things of, you start the journey and then you start realizing, oh, wow, this is actually a lot further than I thought. You're looking at the horizon and the horizon just keeps on moving away. It's not impossible, but it is something that needs to be considered. And I think if you consider it at its base principles in that you need to be compliant with the papia you need to protect the rights of data subjects, whether those data subjects are your employees, whether those data subjects are your clients, whether those data subjects are your suppliers from a privacy point of view, a data protection point of view, You've got obligations in terms of the law in whichever country you are operating, whatever jurisdiction falls um, relevant. And I think that's a whole nother discussion we can have is to say, well, if you've got a staff member operating in Europe, does the GDPR apply? Well, maybe just to that employee, but does it apply to all the information personal information that they're receiving on their laptop? So it's those sort of determinations that become quite complicated quite quickly. And before going into a work from anywhere, approach it's those questions which need to be answered so that you're not scrambling to answer a request from a data subject or you're not scrambling to answer a request from a regulator should that come and you know they should they say well we're aware that you have five staff operating in croatia and two in bali what is your compliance universe and have you considered the international data flows not a not a not a question you want to deal with um, at the last minute you want to be able to go back to any regulator any data subject or any client Especially bigger clients, um, such as the banks and larger corporates and large, larger multinationals, and say, "No, we've got a policy to that effect."
0: So, <laughs> you know, we can carry on like forever on this on this part. Is we're running, we've got three minutes left. So, I just like to wrap this up. So, it's not that simple. People working remotely on a consistent basis creates issues around privacy, around data, around the legal framework in which that is regulated today. And if, when you throw in the whole multinational where people want to simply take off and work in Mauritius for a couple of months, mm. it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly. So if you even a small company that, or a small financial services company, it doesn't matter what you do, how would you start and where would you go look for information in order to actually just get a, a simple, clear framework on what, what, what you should do and the bases you should cover? And I mean, this is a straight punt, but I mean, the fact is, that is what you do.
1: Well, I think it's, it's as we've discussed now, it's quite a, it gets fairly complex fairly quickly, which is why I started, <clears throat> which is why I started with, what is your strategy overall? It's no business is going to go into a work from anywhere approach and take that lightly um, over a span of uh, to a few days. It's important to first look at the strategy as to why you're, work, why you're allowing staff to work from anywhere and then go from there. And then it's important to have a look at what countries staff are likely to go to. And if you want to limit those countries, right? If you want to say, well, look, unfortunately, you can't go work in Russia can't or go work in Russia right now. Exactly, right? Not, you know, all political points aside, legislatively, it makes data transfer very difficult because you have to maintain certain copies of data in each one of those countries. It gets, it, again, it gets complicated fairly quickly. So it's part of an, the first point is to always look at what your overall strategy and what your outcomes are then to look at, OK, how does data data protection and data privacy fit into this? Is this going to be a hindrance or is this something we can actually use to our advantage? For instance, if you're opening up a branch office in Switzerland or in the UK or in um, uh, Luxembourg, you can use that to your advantage to say, well, we, are, we we have taken these steps to become compliant with the GDPR, even though we don't have to be as a South African company, um, because we have these branch offices here, here, and here, and we've implemented these binding corporate rules, and then you can actually use it as a bit of a selling point over and above your competitors who aren't doing that sort of stuff. So, again, I'd, it's important to look at your overall work from anywhere strategy, what your what your employee what your tools are. We haven't even got into employee management tools and
0: employee monitoring no, tools. Which
1: well, look, I'm afraid to, I have to interrupt into, you there. We yeah. run out of time.
0: I'm being told it's it's our our break, but just where will people be able to get hold of you to find out more or to at least request some advice on what they should be doing because work from home, work from anywhere is definitely not going away. It's the new normal in many ways for many companies of all sizes.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I'm very pro that and you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, which is Brendan Ambrose. You can search for me there. My profile picture is a black and white picture of me and my small dog.
0: So look for Brendan and find out what you need to know how to make sure that you remain compliant in the new world of work. So thanks so much, Brendan. We'll chat again soon.
1: Appreciate that. Thanks, Stephen. Cheers, everyone.
0: Bye. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Well, welcome back. And that that conversation became pretty deep pretty quickly and a lot a lot of concern needs to go into it. We're forced to work from home for, many, for in many cases, and people don't think of the implications of it. And there are some significant changes that are coming. Even small companies who deal with people's data, sell to people, deal with external companies, consultants, you name them, have some real concerns around data privacy. So it's, it's not a thing to be taken too lightly. In and amongst all the other challenges we have in business, I think we need to uh, keep that one in mind. Now, moving on to my latest Gizmo and Gadget of the Week, I've been lucky enough to get hold of a pair of the latest Sony XM1000 Mark V headphones. And these are over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones. And for the most part, they have Sony, like Bose was the name for noise-canceling headphones for many, many years. Sony, with the release of the XM1000 Mark III, I believe, Finally caught up and in some ways exceeded what Bose were able to do and interestingly in South Africa the pricing uh, Was very very reasonable compared to the Bose headphones globally. The pricing was very competitive So the Bose 700s which are the latest versions which compete with the XM 1000 mark 4 were pretty much within $40 or 40 euros of each other 40 pounds and It became quite a competition, but choice is always good. And I switched from a pair of Bose noise-cancelling phones to a set of XM1000 Mark IIs many years ago and was very happy for a couple of reasons. One, I found the build quality to be superior, but more importantly, I preferred the sound quality of um, of the Sonys over the sound quality or the tonal quality of the Bose. The Bose were excellent, but at that point, Bose still ruled the roost in terms of noise cancelling and how comfortable they were on long trips and sitting on trains as you do when you travel around Europe um, and keeping the noise at bay so it was a toss-up came down to preference which sound was more important battery life versus noise cancelling but a lot has changed over the last little while Bose have again improved the quality of their product no end over the last little while but the launch of the latest Sony's, the WH-1000XM5, I think has set, for me, a brand new standard in terms of sound quality, noise cancellation, and comfort. What I'll discuss with one or two of the little negatives that I've that found over the last little while first. First of all, the entire construction is plastic. They seem pretty nondescript because they're not exactly standout ugly which or, or interesting. They're just headphones um they're not particularly big they're not particularly small they just um sit really nicely and well but that maybe they look and feel a little less premium than they do than they did in the past they also don't fold away completely like the big apple headphones they come in a rather large case that the the head the little earpieces, swivel and you put it flat but the overall headphone unlike the version 4 does not fold away so it's a much bigger case a little bit more bulky a little bit more hassle to carry around that being said the sound quality is a huge jump from the XM3s and 4s huge much better quality bass new drivers much smoother treble much better tonal quality and definitely much better oomph if you want to put it that way the punch and the dynamics of the sound is significantly better than the previous generation XM4. And if it were even possible, there's slightly less hiss when the noise cancelling's on. That's something that i always managed to hear in really quiet environments on the XM4s, but on the XM5s, that is gone. There's no hiss, there's no background sound when the noise cancelling is working, which is a big improvement. And the noise cancelling in and of itself especially when you're using them on planes, which I've just done recently. There's travel coming back, thank goodness. I've found that they are extremely comfortable. The sound quality is outstanding. The uh, noise cancelling is solid. And because of the distribution of the multiple mics and everything around that, when your head is against a headrest or you're sitting back, the transfer of noise through the, the device seems to have reduced. So they're easy to sleep with, easy to use for hour upon hour. And very very effective um, with regard to noise cancelling. The only thing I still haven't got to grips with, which I've never managed, is there are very few buttons on the device. There's an on button, there's a on/off um, on off button, and there's also a function button which switches between the uh, Google Assistant or Alexa and turns noise cancelling on and off. And if you tap the ear or just touch it, you can then hear people through. It seems a bit flaky. I'm not entirely sure how it works or it's not intuitive at all. So that's one, I wouldn't call it a negative. you get used to it and I suppose over time I'll understand what to do when I need to do it. But overall, if you're looking for a pair of top quality noise cancelling headphones, you travel a lot or you in noisy environments and that seems to become more and more prevalent, work from home. you've got the kids in the background, you've got the washing machine thumping away. They work extremely well. The microphones are super sensitive. They take calls exceptionally well. The sound quality for music, they play loud, they play clear, they have great bass. um, And the noise cancelling is extremely, extremely effective. So have a look. They should be on the market within a month in South Africa. Managed to get a pair while I was travelling. And I am super impressed with the latest Sony XM1000 Mark V noise cancelling headphones. As i said they are a bit bulky so you need a little bit more space in your carry-on baggage or in your briefcase but not terribly so it's sort of a bit of an origami case they don't include which was quite a surprise for me the dual adapter for an airplane, airline so in other words some aircraft you need that dual pin to single pin adapter in order to get stereo on the on the plane it does not come in the box which i think is a bit of a nasty oversight, but they're pretty cheap to get anywhere and all of them work pretty much the same. So don't forget if you're traveling to pick one of those up, otherwise you'll have these wonderful headphones that you can't use on a plane. You'll be able to <laughs> listen to music from your phone. The Bluetooth works exceptionally well. It's got very high quality codecs, so the sound quality is excellent. And the price should be about 10 to 15% more than the current WH-1000XM4. So check them out. Um, They will be in stock. They come in gray and black, sort of a whitish gray. Um, And they really, really are exceptionally comfortable, good sounding, amazing noise cancelling, and a big change from an XM4. Whether it's worth the upgrade, I'm not entirely sure. The XM4s, the previous generation, are still super, and you're probably going to be able to pick them up at a good price over the next little while, so keep that in mind. But if you want the best, you want the latest, you want a really fine pair of of noise-canceling headphones, the new WH-1000XM5, just remember those numbers, mouthful, they have wonderful names, are pretty good. And on that note, we can have a quick break for our sponsors, and then I'm coming back with another travel-related little find I found, which can help make your travels a lot simpler, a lot easier, if you've got the new and latest phones. So we'll be back straight after this. This is Tech Talk with Stephen Ambrose on 101.9 High FM. Welcome back. And to close out our session, travel is back. Airports around the world are mobbed. I'm sure you've seen tons and tons of that. I've had the um, joy of traveling to Las Vegas and to London over the last little while. And unfortunately got caught up in some of the airport madness and delays and whatnot. And the XM1000 Mark 5s helped me weather that storm. But another little service that I picked up, which I think as travel comes back and as global travel starts opening up again, is to stay connected. When you land wherever you're going, it is absolutely wonderful to be simply switch on your phone and be connected to a local data network or a local network and be able to make WhatsApp calls, um, check where you are, use maps Check in it with your your loved ones at home or your business, whatever it is that you're doing. And up to now, I've been using a, a, a service called um, No Roaming or or Ke Sim as they call themselves now because they only offer e And I picked up in my wanderings through the internet and recommendations through social media another service which I've tried twice now. I'm it's still fairly early days, but the one thing that absolutely uh, sold me was the pricing. It's a new eSIM service called Air A I R A L O, Irello. Now Irello is an eSIM-only service that's available with local SIMs in many, many, many countries around the world, regional SIMs. So, in other words, Africa, Asia, Caribbean, Europe, or global eSIMs, which give you global connectivity for periods. And the most Um, useful price. I used it in England, I used it in America, and it's very simple. If you've got a phone that can handle eSIMs, you simply download the Airello app on your device, both a Play Store or or App Store, so it doesn't matter whether you've got an iPhone or an Android phone, you download the Airello app, and you can instantly, through that, load a SIM. So if you take, for example, the United States, You can get a one gig, seven day SIM for $4.50. It is without question the cheapest way to get connectivity in the United States. They've also got packages, three gigs for 30 days, five gigs for 30 days, and 10 gigs for 30 days at $26, which is about a third of the price of finding a local SIM. It works perfectly. It's instantly available on your eSIM enabled phone. So if you don't have an eSIM enabled phone, unfortunately, this is not for you. But all the new iPhones, all the new Samsungs, are more than capable of handling this it downloads directly it connects instantly and you have full data functionality what you don't have is standard phone call functionality for most of us using whatsapp or any one of the various platforms or, or, or needing data connectivity it makes absolutely no difference whatsoever but it worked perfectly it had perfectly good quality 4g everywhere not 5g yet Though okay K Roaming or, or no roaming does have 5G globally now, which is quite cool, but the pricing is significantly lower than anything I've found. And generally, a three gig for 30 days. If you spend a week in the US for $11, um, and in Europe, if you go to Italy, for example, it's three gig for $7, um, five gig for $10.50. It's exceptionally inexpensive, and I must say the 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 slickness of the app. You install your app, the eSIM works perfectly. You activate it. Many countries, you don't need to re fika all that nonsense. It works instantly as you land. You turn on your eSIM. You can do it while you're in South Africa. And when you land, you turn on your phone, switch on the eSIM, and there you go. They've even got SIMs for South Africa, funnily enough, should you wish to give family and friends that are visiting us. So check it out. I think it's a great new app. I think it's a great new service. The pricing is certainly Very, very attractive. And um, when you're traveling, it absolutely is a must to have maps everywhere you go. Hunting from Wi-Fi to Wi-Fi is no way to waste your your hard-earned after post-lockdown travels around the world. So check it out, Airello, A-I-R-A-L-O. You can see it online, but you can definitely download it in the app stores on your phone. And you can get going before you get going. So on that note, I'm afraid we have to call it a day. That's another show another week. And stay tuned for for our next edition of Tech Talk, where we talk all the latest gizmos, gadgets, and what you need to know about technology and how that affects your life. So this is Stephen Ambrose for Tech Talk on CHI-FM.